Welcome to Mortification of Spin, a casual conversation about things that count. With Carl Truman, Todd Pruitt, and Amy Bird. Mortification of Spin is a weekly podcast from the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. Let's join this week's conversation. Welcome to Mortification of Spin. I'm Amy Bird. I'm here with my co-host, Carl Truman, who is professor at Grove City College, and Todd Pruitt, who is pastor of Covenant Presbyterian Church. And today we are super excited to be interviewing soon-to-be celebrity pastor (laughs) (laughs) of Grace Community Church, Ray Rhodes. He has been married for over 30 years. He's got six daughters four grandchildren. He's the founder of Nourished in the Word Ministries, and he has written a long-awaited biography. Is it the first full-length biography, Ray? That's right. It's the first full-length. There was a short biography in 1903, but that's the only biography of Susanna Spurgeon. Of Susanna Spurgeon, wife of Charles Spurgeon, And I just remember when I was pregnant with my third, you know, the time that I got away every evening when the girls went to bed was spent reading Spurgeon's autobiography, Mm. those two big volumes. Mm -hmm. And I felt like I was learning a lot about Susie then because she helped, helped put that together. So Susie Spurgeon, author, church planner, provider of good books to pastors, mom of twins, letter writer, hiker, lover of beauty housewife, theologian, extraordinaire, um, friend to orphans. There's just so much about this woman's life. What took so long to write this book, Ray? And, and what got you interested in writing it? Yeah, I've been a uh, Spurgeon fan for a long time, as many pastors have. And uh, so I decided to go back to seminary late in life and work on a D-men at Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. And while I was there, I... Uh, I had to choose a thesis topic, and I was looking into Spurgeon, seeing if there were any angles left uh, in his life. And since then, I found there are many angles left in his life that have not really been explored. But I looked into his marriage a bit, and I wrote my thesis on the spirituality of uh, Charles and Susanna Spurgeon in their marriage. And after seminary, I began talking with folks in the publishing world, and there seemed to be a great interest in a biography of Susanna. And so the more I peeled back uh, the layers on her life, the more I discovered and how exciting and encouraging and faithful of a godly woman she was. And I was stunned that no one had, had done this. Right. And one of my professors said that. He said, it's really rare to find a subject and connect to a publisher with uh, such a subject that no one's really dealt with before such as this. The Lord seemed to just bring it all together, and we're, we're thank- I'm thankful for that. One of the things I love about the book is that it has pictures. Yeah, I was going to mention it. It does. This is Todd Todd Sally. Well, and and some tactile in some ways, and I loved the book right off the bat because it's a good, solid, hardback book Mm -hmm. that's designed really well, and it has these great quality pictures. I don't think you should be allowed to write a biography without pictures. So I love, just from the very beginning, the construction of the book. But, Ray, one of the thoughts that I had you know, I've, I've read several of the big biographies on Spurgeon, including the, the, the autobiography that, that Amy's already referenced. And one of the things that I always have to wonder about when a person undertakes a, a biography is, what were they most surprised by? And I'm sure that you had a lot of various epiphanies as you were uh, writing this, but you know, what would be one or two things that were 
really, really wonderful surprises for you. You probably have a hundred of them, but what would be kind of the top couple things about her life that were especially endearing or or surprising in a in a in a positive sense? That's a great question, Todd. Thank you. Uh, well, a couple of things. One, uh, typically we're introduced to Susanna immediately in connection to Charles Spurgeon. It's, just, it's almost as if she didn't live the 21 years yeah. prior mm -hmm. uh, to that. And so in finding out about Susanna more about her childhood and then in her marriage, typically she kind of moves from being his wife to being in poor health. Mm -hmm. But she was a mountain hiker. She actually hiked the Alps, which is was stunning to me because mm -hmm. I had mostly thought of her as a sufferer, which she was mm -hmm. about 10 years after her marriage until her death. But she hiked to the Alps while Spurgeon kind of rode along in the carriage with huh. his publisher and talked theology and books and <laughs> the sort of things that Todd and Carl would do, but Amy would be talking about hiking. That's right. You know, that's true. right. That's, <laughs> that's, the, that's the picture I get. Yep. But, uh, and so that, and also uh, just, she was a prolific author and after Spurgeon died, as a widow and afflicted at that, she helped to plant a church. And I really almost fell out of my chair when I discovered hmm. that. Yeah, that was new for me. I had not heard that. Yeah, that was really exciting. What I want to know is how you connected with Susanna Spurgeon Cochran, um, Susie's and Charles' great-granddaughter. What a great story of God's providence. I was at Southern Seminary in the archives doing research, and in walked an elderly couple uh, he's a retired particular Baptist pastor, and I heard them talking about England, and this was their first trip to America. They were talking to a history professor there. He had met Dr. Moeller the mo in the morning, was very excited about that. And so when I found an opportunity, I broke in and said something to the effect, well, I'm, I'm planning a trip to England in the spring, and I uh, just wanted to meet you. And he said, well, who's picking you up at the airport? And uh, I said, well, no one. I'm, I plan to take the train. And he said, no, that won't work. I'll pick you up at the airport. Wow. <laughs> and uh, as we began corresponding with one another, he said, did I tell you that I live really close to Susanna Spurgeon Cochran, the great-great-granddaughter mm -hmm. of Charles? And I said, no, I, I missed that. <laughs> but I would like to know more about that. And so uh, one thing led to another. And so when we went, my wife, Lori, and I went to London the first time, we were able to uh, have dinner with Bill and Maureen Gardner, just a delightful couple. And they uh, invited Susanna Spurgeon Cochran over for uh, tea uh, later in the evening. And we met her the first time then, and then we met her the second time back in October. Uh, well, we talked to her the second time back in October. And I was excited to uh, meet a descendant, a uh, real pretty close descendant of Charles. Yeah, how providential yeah, was that? Very fun. And she wrote, the, uh, she wrote an endorsement for the book, and she, she also wrote that. afterwards the book. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. A video for the book. I don't know if you saw the video. I have not seen the video. <laughs> it was great. Almost, as, almost as popular as my daughter Abigail, who's six. She was the most popular <laughs> video that we've used. <laughs> One of the the most well known aspects of Spurgeon's ministry, Ray, is uh, his struggles with what we now call depression. Mm -hmm. There's the famous chapter in his book and lecture to the students on the the pastor's fainting fits. Mm. How did Susie? fit into the yeah. the framework by which Spurgeon was able to deal with and handle his depression? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, I think Spurgeon struggled with depression before he came to London. It was um, of a milder sort. But after he came to London, and especially after the famous music hall disaster, which has never really been told in its fullness, it was more 
much more horrific than has been told in the biographies. For those listeners who may not know, uh, Spurgeon, the church was growing rapidly. They rented a facility to, uh, for Spurgeon to preach in the evenings. There was about 10,000 people uh, the first night there packed inside, about another 10,000 outside. Spurgeon drew a crowd wherever he went. And someone came in and yelled, fire, fire, and uh, there was no fire. But uh, the panic ensued. People died as a result. They were trampled to death, uh, jumped out of the balcony, jumped out of windows, all sorts of uh, terrible things. Mm -hmm. Uh, Several people, uh, seven or nine people died, and many other were hospitalized. And Spurgeon just passed out. And one paper reported that he died. His depression deepened from that point forward. And many of his friends thought it was the early cause of his death. But Susanna, uh, one biographer actually said that Charles may have lost his mind, if not for Susanna. Mm-hmm. So in, in Spurgeon's case, it was not simply a wife he needed. It was a particular wife. And Susanna seemed to be that particular wife that he needed. She read to him when he was uh, depressed. He would often cry uncontrollably and could not give a reason for that. He would have to stabilize himself before going to the pulpit at times, uh, just a nervous reaction, especially when there's especially large crowds. But Susanna wrote to him. She prayed for him. She read to him. She encouraged him, and she supported him. Early in her life, she gave herself over to the idea that uh, and to the commitment that Spurgeon's life was different. She would support him, and she didn't want her sickness or anything else, her own afflictions, to hinder him from his preaching and other ministry. And so she gave herself 100% to that. Mm. Right. And uh, that gave comfort. Yep. Um, I have a question that's probably related uh, to that, but uh, w- one of the sources of Charles's you know, suffering was, was the intense um, criticism he received in the London press from other uh, prominent pastors in London. I mean, if you know, reading his, his autobiography, there's a whole section where there's just, where they just have section after section of these vicious attacks on him in the press. And were you able to get any insight or was there anything available on how Susie dealt with that, that very public, very vicious criticism of her husband? Yeah. Uh, like any pastor's wife, she wanted to protect her husband and uh, it hurt her probably as much as it did mm-hmm. him. But she, uh, she hid some of that from him. She would, uh-huh. she would hide some of the papers, yeah. <laughs> some of those reports from him and, uh, and whatnot. But, uh, and, you know, eventually it almost became a point of humor to them as Spurgeon grew. And the criticism diminished somewhat, even though he was involved in about five great controversies in his ministry mm-hmm. that, are, that are outlined in Ian Murray's great book, The Forgotten Spurgeon. And she believes that it was the final controversy, the downgrade controversy, that actually, uh, humanly speaking, brought him to his early death. Yeah. Uh, other of his friends pointed to his depression. But, yeah, she sheltered him from some of that. And she just provided a home that was warm and, and loving and yeah. prayerful. And Spurgeon was all about that as well. And family worship was essential to the Spurgeon home. When he was there and when he was absent, uh, either Susanna would lead that or when his sons were older, they would, they would help with that as well. Mm. You know, Ray, you're such a storyteller in this book. That's what I love. It's, it's, it's a biography, it's history, but you're really good at telling a story, and it's a page-turner. And I felt like there was just this theme in her history, just teaching just how the Lord's strength works through our weaknesses. I mean, she really shows that in her life, and I just wondered while I was reading it, was that, was that a theme that you were purposefully weaving throughout this book? Yes, uh, 
the suffering of Susanna Spurgeon, in fact, her first biographer, Charles uh, Ray, in 1903, called her the great sufferer. Hmm. And she was that for a couple of reasons. One, you know, 1868, 1869, she was no longer able to attend church almost ever again. Uh, her affliction was so great. She had surgery by the really the most famed gynecologist of the day. The top question I've been asked uh, from men and women is, what, what, was was the, what was the nature of Susie's mm -hmm. surgery? And though it's not revealed, and some of that's probably due to Victorianism yeah. and uh, mm -hmm. folks concealing that, but we're, we're almost 100% certain it was, it was a female issue. My theory is uh, endometriosis, but of course that's a theory because, and the reason I say that is because of the Simpson, who is the famed gynecologist, and the fact that she never had children again, and she suffered with pain. And from what I understand about endometriosis, it's a very, it can be a very painful mm -hmm. affliction, causing pain in areas other than you know the female areas mm -hmm. of the woman's body. Mm -hmm. So uh, that that's one theory. Uh, others have theorized she had, uh, along with her female issue, she had rheumatoid arthritis. I'm not sure, but whatever it was, she sometimes described herself as not being able to lift her hand or her head from bed. She was uh, so in such pain. And yet, in the midst of that, she didn't shake her fist at, in the face of mm. God. She had faith in the Lord. She saw God's providence and all of that. And she had a husband that cared for her, even though he was, even though he was away often. He, he found other ways to care for her. And she writes about her suffering a lot and of God's providence and faithfulness in the midst of that. And that's, that's one of the, the great contributions she's left to us. It's her devotional literature. She wrote five books. Three of those were devotional books. Mm -hmm. And in those, she really recounts the faithfulness of God and her suffering. You know, it's, it's remarkable just contemplating the physical suffering of both of them, Charles mm -hmm. and Susanna, the, the, the tremendous physical suffering that they both experienced, compounded by uh, the controversies that, that were necessary for him to be involved in. Uh, as well as his own depression. And yet, they had this incredibly productive marriage in terms of ministry. It's extraordinary. It's, it's I mean, amazing. I, I can't wrap my mind around, around it all with all of our contemporary technologies right. and, and communication technologies. I can't quite get my, my um, mind around um, all that they were able to accomplish, even through the midst. So, so it speaks at minimum to a, a level of personal piety in, the, in their lives that kept them productive for the Lord's sake through that all. Yeah, that's right. Uh, and one of the things I uncovered in this process was that, you know, of course, we can't be our heroes. Mm -hmm. We are who God has made us to be, and we yeah. need to learn, learn from our heroes. If we try to set out to be Charles or Susanna Spurgeon, <laughs> then we're going to be frustrated yes. in that process. But they, they, uh, I mean, it is almost unbelievable the amount of work that they accomplished. Spurgeon writing 135 books, the 60-plus volumes of sermons, mm -hmm. the 60-plus institutions that he oversaw, the pastoring a, a megachurch in that day, Susanna writing five books, so starting a church, giving away 200,000 books to poor pastors, Spurgeon mm -hmm. answering 500 letters a week. Uh, those sorts of things are just beyond comprehension. Yeah. But one thing is the importance of teamwork. I mean, Spurgeon had help. He had help at his churches, staff, and he also had, uh, in those days, having a household servant was pretty common for even a middle-class family to have at least one household servant, not a slave, but a servant. It was essentially a household employee. Mm -hmm. And by the time Spurgeon died, he probably had nine or ten uh, household servants that were full-time, dressmakers, cooks, gardeners, uh, because 
he didn't simply have a, a home. He had an industry. Right. Uh, everything from flowers to milk cows to uh, his, his overall ministry. His secretary, Joseph Harrell, uh, which was one of his primary secretaries, was with him almost constantly as well. So he had help. And when he was away, one of the questions I w- I've been asked a lot is, well, how can we say Spurgeon was a great husband when he was away from his wife so often? And though it's not a substitute, Spurgeon made sure, made sure that she was cared for. And part of that was through these servants. And some of the, and the servants were not sort of like Downton Abbey where they lived in, in the basement and they were always separated out from the main family. They, Spurgeon made them a part of his family. They heard the gospel. They were loved. They were treated well. Uh, one of them in particular, a, a lady by the name of Elizabeth Thorne, was really one of Susanna's best friends and was with her at the last hours, in her last hours. Now, Charles dies early in 1892, and Susanna lives for nearly another 12 years. She dies late in uh, 1903. Mm-hmm. Um, how would you characterize the, the post-Charles Spurgeon life of Susanna? Yeah, it seems that um, really before Charles died, uh, you know, Charles went to Montan, uh, France, numerous times from about 18, uh, early 1870s until he died. And, and uh, most of that was due to health. A famous doctor of the day, uh, Bennett, was his, his last name. He was about to die in London, and he decided he would go and die on, in, in warmer weather. And so he went to the Riviera, and, and he was actually healed. And a lot of folks followed him there. And he was a friend of Spurgeon's. He wrote a book on uh, Mediterranean and so, uh, so Spurgeon would go there every year, pretty much from the early 1870s onward, and you know, spend quite a bit of time. I and mean, he would be spending three months and longer there at times. And so, uh, Susanna uh, was not able to travel with him because of her own affliction; she couldn't make the journey. But in in October of 1891. Miraculously, really, Susanna, for the first time, was able to make the trip. And, and it's important to know that Charles wanted her to be with him. He long, Every time he left her to go to the coast, it was not like, hey, 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 great, I'm going on a vacation, I'm leaving home and family and all responsibilities. But he longed for his wife to be with him, yeah. and she couldn't. But miraculously, in, in uh, October of 1891, she was able to make that journey, which they called a thousand-mile journey, to the uh, southern coast of, of France. And they really experienced a, a honeymoon sort of experience there. She described church, uh, Spurgeon as pointing out various sites to her and saying, a wifey, as that's what he called her, which mm-hmm. is probably not uh, politically correct today, but she, he, called her, he called her wifey. He said, wifey, wasn't it worth the uh, thousand miles to see this or see that? And she said later in, in, in writing that even if the site had not been so wonderful, it was delightful just to see her husband's joy in her joy in being with him. Mm. And uh, so they spent those three months together. You know, she did not return to London after Spur- Spurgeon died there in Montan mm-hmm. in January, January 31st, 1105, 1892. He died and they had a memorial service at the Presbyterian Church, which make you guys happy. Oh, I yeah. Think, uh, <laughs> Spurgeon helped uh, actually dedicate that church. He was very close to the Presbyterians there and other places. And so, Susie, but Susie did not return to London for the various services, the funeral and burial of Charles Spurgeon. She remained for another month, uh, really on the uh, Italian and, and France uh, border with uh, Thomas Hanbury. Hanbury Gardens is still there. It's a beautiful place. It's about 80 acres of uh, exotic gardens. Uh, and we were able to go there a few months ago and see the remaining beauty of that. But she remained there. She did some wonderful, some beautiful writing from there. 
And then she returned to London and restarted the book fund again. And again, she, from 1875 to 1903, she gave away, she gave oversight, kept detailed records, was personally involved in choosing the books of 200,000 books to four pastors. Yeah. Yeah. She was, her, her heart was broken over the state of many pastors Mm -hmm. who uh, did not have, who barely had clothes to wear. Their family was uh, barely nourished. Medical care was almost unthought of. And so she, uh, and she believed that by investing in pastors and invest that they would then invest in the churches, that the gospel would spread uh, through that investment and that, they needed resources, and many of those pastors had not had a new book in years. And so she wanted them to have books. She also gave clothes to the families. She sent money to those families. And that continued after Spurgeon's death. And her most prolific writing happened after his death as well. I mean, she, she wrote four of her five standalone books after he died. Mm-hmm. And then she was a major contributor, an editor, co-editor of the uh, originally was four-volume autobiography of Charles Spurgeon, which you can get in its entirety mm-hmm. from Pilgrim Publications. Yep. Uh, the Banner of Truth is a, is a bit of bridge. It's still mm-hmm. wonderful. Yeah. So she was involved in writing. She planted that church. Yeah, in I was going to say that was after his death community. too, right? <laughs> yeah. It's really not in the church manual. You know, I'm a Southern Baptist. <laughs> not in the church manual. We want our church planters to be widowed, a <laughs> women. <laughs> so, yeah. Really a demonstration of God's faithfulness through yeah. that. Yeah. Ray, I thank you for the work that you put in to researching uh, Susanna Spurgeon's life. The, the book is delightful. I, I really do recommend it. it. It's There are times when it, it, I mean, it's always encouraging, but considering, uh, as we've already touched on, some of the things that, that she had to deal with, it is, it's challenging, it is edifying, and I would encourage you all to, to get this and add it to your stack of, of reading. You'll be delighted by the book. It's educational. If you're a fan of Charles Spurgeon and have enjoyed some of the biographies on him, this fills in really wonderfully uh, with those and helps, it will help to give you a fuller picture of the man even as you get introduced to his wife. And so um, the, the book is Susie, The Life and Legacy of Susanna Spurgeon by Ray Rhodes. We commend it to you. And Ray, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us about this subject, which we know is so beloved to you. We're so glad that you took a great interest in her life and have mm-hmm. now shared this with us. Thank you for the time you gave us today. Well, thank you, Todd and Amy and Carl. It's a uh, uh, really this is uh, I've, I've sort of lived now. I've been on mortification of spin, so <laughs> my life has been worth living. <laughs> well, we would encourage you all to please visit our website, mortificationofspin.org, and you can register to win a copy of uh, Ray's book, Susie, The Life and Legacy of Susanna Spurgeon. It's published by Moody. And we'd encourage you to come over to our site and register to to win a copy of this wonderful book. You're going to want this book. You are going to want this book. And uh, while you're there, uh, we are a listener-supported podcast. And if you're uh, so inclined to make a contribution to the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals, that would be greatly appreciated. I'm Todd Pruitt, and I'm joined, as always, by Carl and Amy. Thanks so much for being with us today.
Thanks for listening to Mortification of Spin, a podcast of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. Visit the podcast page and blog at mortificationofspin.org, where we'll have links and other articles from Amy, Carl, and Todd. And while you're there, please subscribe and consider making a donation. And be sure to listen next time when Carl, Todd, and Amy talk about I have no vested interest in holding an incorrect opinion. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. it's good if I get pushback. And I've had pushback that has caused me to change my opinion Mm -hmm. on on certain things. The issue of Amy's book, I think, there, when you've got people critiquing a book on the basis of what they've heard, it's Mm -hmm. malicious buffoonery. We'll talk to you next time on Mortification of Spin. Listen, we're very big in Africa. We are. They love us in Kenya. They love us in Kenya. Do they also ask you to send them money urgently to an account? Because they (laughs) do. Hey, listen. Hey, listen. That guy's dad was the king of Rhodesia. (laughs) Think I wasn't going to send him money? Come on. I'm just waiting to hear back. Uh, Okay. Okay. So, are we ready? I'm ready. Ready to roll. Okay. Okay. Wait. Carl's a professor at Grove City College now. I gotta remember all the new titles. <laughs> Todd, he's the the university campus oh influential reform tweeter. I think that's oh perfect. That's his major calling. Okay. Yeah. Oh, all right. Reform tweeter. All right, ready? Well, welcome to morning. Hey, Amy. Hey, Amy. What? Get get this right, okay? Todd, I don't need you to keep interrupting me or you can open and close. I just don't want you to be nervous. You got that? I just don't want you to be nervous. I'm not nervous. I'm just going to give you my job. Okay.